even had a little diagram about how to do it and they still did it the wrong way. I just, I'm sorry if you're one of these people that put it on backwards, what's wrong with you? But you're not as bad as the next one because that is just wrong. <laughs> Imagine sitting in a public loo seeing that. Like, how are you going to unroll it? There's just going to be holes right where your fingers should be and it's not a good protection there. Okay, next one. Uh, number six. So, I mean, we've all done this, right? There's a seatbelt and you go to put it on and then something's twisted somewhere and you follow it all the way around and you can't find where it's twisted. Yeah, I know, I know, I know the feels. Next one. Number seven. All I can say is who the fork did that one. Next one, next one. Or maybe I should say where the forks. Where the forks. Okay, number nine. Uh, yeah, I just, yep, yeah, next one. Number eight. Here we've got push to open here. And, I mean, if that was me, I'd pretty much take a bread knife and just open the whole thing up, cut it in half. Next one. Look, I mean, why? Who did that? That's, there's no excuse. There is no excuse for that. That is, that's number nine. Okay, next one. Number ten. Oh, I mean, you're just trying to rip along the perforated edge to get a nice, neat homework and then... The chunk of it comes out. It's so annoying. You're feeling triggered. Starting to feel a bit triggered. That's good. Triggered levels rising. All right, next one. Number 20. I mean, I, who did that? I just, next. I can't look at that too long. That's number two. There, we found number two. Um, yeah, I mean, OCDs are probably firing all over the place. Even at home, I'm sure your OCD is firing when you, if you can see that. The, uh, the Pepsi, just the Lone Ranger in there. Uh, someone made a mistake. All right, the next one. Yeah, yeah. I just, I just don't know what to say about this one. I mean, I'd still eat it, for sure. But if I opened that up from Domino's, I'd be asking questions. Um, next one, I think this is the last one. Yeah, look. I just, oh, that really triggers my grammar Nazi, that one. The, the 20, 23rd and... I uh, just, yeah, all right, okay, that's enough. All right, so, hey, are you feeling triggered? Good, good. I hope you're feeling triggered. I think we all know the feeling of when something just triggers us, right? There's an emotion that just rises up and we're like, oh, I just can't deal with this. Or maybe, maybe it's not a frustration. It could be a sadness or a, an anxiety or some kind of negative emotion that that is triggered by an event that we come into contact with. We know that, how that feels, right? But have you ever thought to ask yourself, why am I actually triggered right now? Why do I really feel the way that I'm feeling? It's easy to think, well, it's obvious, you know, some guy laid the pavers the complete wrong way. But is that really why you feel the way that you feel? Or is there more to the story? I want to tell you a story about me, Judah, Elijah, and our cousin DJ. We were, uh, I was on my P's, probably my red P's, because I was driving at that stage, and I would drive all of us boys from here to our home in Orchard Hills, back and forward for all our church stuff and everything. And we're driving home from church one Friday night, just having a good old time, right? Probably listening to some New Empire yeah, that was my, my thing, right? 
maybe a bit of plagiarise, maybe a bit of Reliant K, although that's not really me, that's more them. And, uh, and so we're listening along, having a great old time, and we get to the high street lights late at night, like maybe 11 o'clock probably, and it's a red light. We're one of the very few cars parked at the lights. And we're stopped there just minding our own business when all of a sudden I see a massive brown, hairy, beady-eyed huntsman spider lightning up the window in front of my face onto the roof. Now, I've seen this, and I think it was Judah was in the front seat next to me. He's seen this. And DJ and Elijah in the back seat have seen this. (laughs) And if you were at the traffic lights, maybe on the other side, and you looked over and saw our car, you would have... You would have seen this. We're hugging each other. The car would have been shaking things up against the windows. We literally lost the plot. I just started screaming. They just started screaming. Our screams screamed off each other. We're like, and we're literally just screaming for like minutes. The light goes green. I'm like, I start to put it in gear and I'm still screaming. We're like, there is a giant huntsman spider and we don't know where it's gone. I'm putting the windscreen wipers on. I'm trying to accelerate really fast so the wind blows it off the roof. I'm just hoping that something will work. Anyway, we managed to get home. We've not seen this spider. We don't know where it is. We pull in the driveway. This is late at night under one of the big trees because it's the only place I could park. It's also probably the reason why a spider came all the way to Windsor and back with me. And so I'm there, and we're in the driveway, and we're thinking, okay, we've got to get inside. We can't, we can't just, I mean, do we just sleep the night here? No, no, we've got to, we've got to go inside. This is, not, this is a tiny little Ford laser. There's four nearly grown men in here. We're not going to be able to sleep. And so I'm like, okay, I'm just going to have to, one of us is going to have to be the sacrificial lamb here. And I, I decide, you know, I'm the oldest. I'm the responsible one. I'm the driver. The captain goes down with the ship. And so I'm like, okay. I'm going to do this. And I grab my phone, I grab the keys, I grab my wallet, and I'm like, okay, here we go. And then I quickly open the door, get out, do, do one of these, one, you know, just to make sure, and quickly just have a check. Okay, I'm not closing it inside the car, shut the door, and step back. Okay, okay, I think, ooh, you know, you need to get that, ooh. Like, okay, I think I've got it, I don't think. And so I get my phone torch out, and I'm like, I've got to help the other boys now, and I've got to scan, okay, and I'm like, Elijah, all right, check. Yep, all right, I think you're good. All right, go, 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 go. And he's getting out, and then he shuts the door. And I'm like, no, 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 there's no central locking. You've got to lock the door before you close it. Oh, no, so I've got to open the door again, and then lock the thing and open the handle and then shut it again. And then, okay, quick, run away. Okay, Elijah's free. He's just bolting inside. I'm like, okay, now I've got to get the other two boys out. So I go around the other side of the car, and I'm having a look. Where is this spider? Like, I know it's here somewhere. Anyway, DJ, all right, get, 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 get out, get out, get out. Same thing. No, lock your door, lock your door. It's, I know, my car's old, but just lock your door. Okay, you get, get inside. Then Judah, quick, just get everyone, get out. Anyway, we got inside. Everyone's doing these ones. Even in the kitchen, we got inside. We're just, ugh, you know, just making sure it wasn't hiding in the back, just taking a run inside. And uh, safe to say, it took me weeks. Every time I'd get in my car after that, you know, I'd open the door. Have a bit of a look. Make sure it's not on the roof right where my head's going to be. <laughs> Get into my car and then smack, smack the sun visor because you don't know. There could be a spider behind there. I better make sure he's dead. Then you do the check, which is stupid. Okay, <laughs> I'm good this time. For weeks and weeks and weeks, eventually, 
a spider did show up and there was another story about a duel with that spider, but we got rid of it and we survived. Now, it's, easily, it's easy to, to justify my reaction, you know. You might think, oh, of course, of course, Jesse. You know, there's a killer spider on the loose with a machete and he's on your car and he, all he wants to do is kill you. You should react the way that you did. But was our response really appropriate to the facts of the situation? Good answer. I don't think it was. So, I mean, let's think about the reality. Me, an adult man, could just pick up the spider, crush it, and throw it away in two seconds. Good game. Round over, right? Like, technically, Huntsman Spider's not going to bite a human. It just doesn't do that. I could crush it instantly, throw it away. I'm fine. But my emotions don't reflect the reality of that situation. There's a, uh, a saying that says, facts don't care about your feelings. And I think you can rearrange that a bit and say that your feelings are not reliable in telling you the facts. Right? Make sense? Just because you feel a certain way does not mean that what you feel reflects the reality of a situation. It makes sense to be cautious around a spider that may or may not cause harm to you, but to lose the plot with four grown men in a tiny little car late at night, screaming like little girls, I think probably isn't the appropriate response to that kind of situation. So why do we feel the way that we feel? Why is it that some things trigger us and other things don't? Imagine you are at home and uh, you're asleep, having a good old sleep, dreaming about whatever you want. It's a really good time. And then all of a sudden, you are woken up by the sound of smashing glass. You come and you're like, what was that? What was that? And so you're thinking, oh my goodness. Oh my goodness, someone is breaking into my house. Somebody has thrown a brick through the window and they're going to steal my Xbox. They're in the house. They probably have a knife. They may even have a machete like the spider did. They, they could even have a gun. I mean, I don't know. Is this America? I don't know where we are. They could have a gun. They're probably here to kill my entire family and I'm going to die right now. But somehow you manage to get the courage to uh, reach for the baseball bat under your bed, except you realize there isn't a baseball bat under your bed. So you just grab the lamp instead because you need something to defend yourself. And you take the lamp and you, you start to creep out downstairs. Now, you don't turn the light on, of course, because because I don't know why, but you just don't want to turn the light on because then they would be able to see you. And so you don't turn the light on, you go down in the dark and you got your little lamp and you're terrified right now that someone's going to jump out and kill you or at least steal your Xbox. And you get there and you realise, hang on a second, the glass is in the kitchen and it's not a window. It looks like just a, an ordinary glass cup. And then you see on the bench there is the silver wispy tail of your cat who has jumped up to lick up the crumbs from dinner and has managed to knock a glass off on the floor. And you realise that, oh, there's no one here to rob me. There's no one here to hurt me. You might maybe be a little bit annoyed at your uh, cat. But all of a sudden, your emotions completely shift. Before that, how did you feel? You felt like there was someone in your house robbing you and trying to kill you. But now you feel relieved, maybe slightly annoyed at your cat, thinking about giving it for adoption. I don't know. Maybe that's just me. 
But your emotions completely change, even though the whole time the facts of the situation were the same. It was always true that that cat knocked the glass over and woke you up. But you went on this emotional roller coaster because it's not the facts that determine how you feel, it's what you believe about the facts that determine how you feel. We feel what we believe. There's a story about this in the Bible. In Mark chapter 4, verse 35, I'll start reading it to you. On that day, when evening had come, Jesus said to his disciples, let us go across to the other side of the lake. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him, and a great windstorm arose. And the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling up. It started to sink. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace. He said, Peace, be still. He sung it out like that. And then the wind ceased. That was a good song. We should bring it back. And there, there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? In this story, we get a little bit of a glimpse into what the disciples believed about their situation. So they're in a boat, a storm arises, water starts to come into the boat and it starts to sink. That's the situation that they're in. But then they say to Jesus, they wake him up and say, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? That tells us two things, at least, that they believe. One, we are perishing. They believed that they were going to die. We are about to die. But what's probably even more important than that, they said, do you not care? They, they believed that Jesus didn't care that they were going to die. And so it's very interesting that Jesus, he gets up, he sees the storm, he sees the water in the boat, he sees that the boat's sinking, and then he says, why are you afraid? Don't you think that's odd? I mean, I immediately was, well, Jesus, have a look around, buddy. Why do you think we're afraid? Well, Jesus, clearly he can see, clearly he knows what's going on, yet he still chooses to say, why are you afraid? Then he says, Do you, have you still not got any faith? A follow-up question to that. See, the disciples, their emotions were not based on the reality of the situation that they were in. They were based upon what they believed about that reality. And Jesus had a different belief to the disciples, and so he had a completely different emotional response to that situation. What do you think caused the disciples' emotions to change? See, they went from being afraid, feeling like they were going to die, to being, it says, filled with great fear. Now, if we jump over to Matthew chapter 8, it has the same story. And in that part, it says that the men marveled, saying, who is this? What sort of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? So when it says that they were filled with great fear, it's not the same as being afraid. It's actually that they were filled with a huge respect and an awe and like a, whoa, 
who is this guy? Like, who are we in the boat with? So that's a very big change in emotion to afraid that they're going to die to being filled with awe and wonder and amazement about who they were in the boat with, right? So it's easy to go, well, Jesus calmed the storm down and that's why their emotions changed. But I don't think that's the case. I think the reason the disciples' emotions changed is because Jesus gave them a truth that they did not have before. They thought Jesus, our rabbi, this is the guy who they gave up their careers, they gave up their family trade, they gave up their families and their loved ones and their friends, and they chose to, to follow this guy, Jesus, every single day from then on. They'd given up everything to go and follow Jesus, and they say, but Jesus, like, do you not care that we're about to die? They had a belief that Jesus didn't care and that they were about to die. And then Jesus showed them, hey, not only do I care, but I have the power to save you from dying. And when they came to know that, when that truth found its way into their hearts, their emotional response completely changed and they were no longer triggered in the same way. Faith is the antidote to being triggered. So what is faith? Faith is not miracle fuel. I think we can get caught up thinking about faith like it's the fuel that runs the miracle. Like imagine a lawnmower is a miracle machine and yeah, Jesus, I need this miracle, blah, blah, blah. So I'm just going to try and fill it up with faith. I've got to try and conjure more faith, do some spiritual push-ups, cram some more Bible memorization into my head, and hopefully my faith level will increase to the point where now I can power the miracle machine and get the miracle that I want, right? Have you ever thought about faith in a similar way to that? I've thought about faith like that, right? But that's not what faith is. Faith is not this thing you have to muster up it's not the currency exchange for God's miracles. It's actually just believing God's truth. That's what faith is. It's believing God's truth. Now, belief is not the same as agreeing. So you might agree. Yes, I agree. The Bible says that God loves me. And up here in your head, you understand, yes, I believe that that's true. I agree that that's true. But deep down... Under it all, in your heart, does that thing feel true to you? Because if it doesn't feel true that God loves you, it means that you don't actually believe that he does. You might intellectually know, yes, I understand that God loves me, but if you're not experiencing it, it means that your belief is not lining up with your mind. Belief is what we know to be true in our hearts. It's not what we hope could be true or what we wish was true. It's what we know to be true. It's what feels true to us. And I believe faith is when God's truth feels true to you. Hebrews chapter 11 starts like this. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. It means there's something out there that I can't quite touch, I can't quite prove, I can't quite see it, but I know that it is true. That's what faith is. And you don't get faith from reading books. Like I said, you don't get faith from trying to do spiritual push-ups. Faith comes only from Jesus. 
In Hebrews chapter 12, it says that Jesus is the founder and the perfecter of our faith. Another translation says the author and the finisher of our faith. In other words, when you come to know Jesus for the first time, he gives you this gift of grace and faith, this new understanding that he loves you and that he's here to save you. And he begins this work of faith in your heart. And then he goes on a journey through relationship with you where he is continuing the, the completion and the perfection of that faith. This is why Jesus asked his disciples, have you still not got faith? Because he realized they were missing a truth that Jesus had. Jesus, a man, a human being like you and me, was not afraid in the storm. Because it wasn't the storm that was causing the disciples to be afraid. It was the fact that they didn't know that God was caring for them and that God had the power to save them and that they were not going to die. Jesus corrected that belief and it transformed the emotion that they were feeling. Let me give you a summary so far. So we feel what we believe. Faith is knowing that what we believe is true, that we believe God's truth. And Jesus is the one who can convince our hearts of the truth. It's not about trying to convince your mind and, and repeat things over and over and over again until you feel like you believe it. It's actually Jesus who can change that. So last term we talked about the reality that you have a spiritual enemy. The Bible's pretty clear that there is some kind of spiritual darkness that wants to work against you. It wants to see you fail, wants to see you uh, meet destruction and hopelessness and just mess your life up because they are very, very jealous of the fact that God replaced them with you, that we took a place in God's family as his children in place of those who fell and rebelled against him. And so this spiritual enemy that's out there, you might know him as the devil or other things, does not like you, these principalities and powers that Paul talks about. But however, their only power is to lie. The only power that they have left is to lie to you. God has restricted what they can do. They can't just come in and chop your arm off or make you sick at will. The devil can't do that, but he can lie to you. And this is his only power that he has left because he is absolutely against truth because truth is God. And, uh, and in Ephesians 6, it talks about how do we defend against these principalities and powers? How do you defend against this spiritual enemy that wants to see your life burn? And it talks about this thing called the armor of God. Who's, who's read about the armor of God before you've heard about that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's a particular piece of that that I want to focus in on tonight. And in verse 16 of Ephesians 6, it says, In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Now, I've, I've created a bit of a, a slide show uh, to describe this. So if you were to imagine your faith as a shield. Now, there are elements of our faith that we've gotten from Jesus, but then there are other parts which are missing. Because remember, Jesus is constantly completing this work of faith. He's constantly revealing new things to you and I about the truth and about God's truth for our life. So 
if we uh, have a look at this first one here. Okay, so here's you. Very good. Next one. Here is your shield of faith. Now, it's not quite complete. So there's a few gaps here and there. Let's go to the next one. Here is you with your shield of faith. Uh, next one. Okay, now here come the lies of the enemy. So the devil says, you're ugly. And he sends this lie flying through. What happens next? Defended. And you go, but I know in my heart that God's made me fearfully and wonderfully made. Like, I'm not ugly. I know that to be true. It feels true to me. So when the devil throws a lie, it just goes, ping, gets extinguished, right? But let's have a look. What what happens next? Uh Uh-oh. We see another one coming at you, which is you don't deserve to be loved. And this one, this one's looking a little bit more dangerous. What happens next? Oh, yeah, that one, that one actually hit a gap. And yeah, actually, I don't feel like I deserve to be loved. I feel too guilty from the things that I've done. And the thing is, when the devil finds a weak spot in your shield of faith, he will just keep aiming at it. He's like, boys, this guy doesn't know that he's deserving of being loved. So let's just hit him there where it hurts. And then what happens? Dead. Okay, so that's a bit of an exaggeration, right? But I hope you get the point, right? And so Jesus is the one who can fill the holes in our shield of faith. He has the truth that you lack to be invincible to to the devil. So a natural question would be, how do I grow my faith? I mean, if I got these gaps, if I need to increase the coverage of this shield of faith, how do I do that? Now, I thought it would be fun to Google this. And so I went on, okay, how do you grow your faith? But unfortunately, all I came across was article after article about spiritual push-ups. You know what I mean? It's like spend more time in fervent prayer, like praying passionately, or memorize more scripture, or read more chapters of the Bible, or have more people around you that are brothers and sisters in Christ that can encourage you. Now, all of these things are really good things. I'm not dissing those things at all. But I don't actually believe that those things will grow your faith. Because faith is not a work that you do. It's not a skill that you need to get better at. Faith is a truth that God has for you and wants to give to you. All we need to do is put ourselves in the right position to receive what he's saying. You see, the devil actually has a role in God's plan. Did you know that? Because God hasn't removed him from the equation. God is allowing the devil to stick around for a little bit longer. One day he'll be gone. But he has a purpose in God's plan. The devil thinks, oh, I am successfully ruining many, many lives because he wants to destroy you. And so he thinks that he's working against God and ha, 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 God doesn't know what I'm doing. I'm going to mess up these people's lives. But God actually goes, no, I saw that coming and I have a purpose for it. While the devil thinks he's sabotaging your life, God is actually planning to use that thing to reveal to you where you lack faith. And God has actually developed a system inside every single one of you 
which will tell you when and where you lack faith. It's called your emotions. If we feel what we believe, then when we feel these negative moments of being triggered, of anger, of fear, of anxiety, of sadness, of whatever it is, when we feel these things and it triggers within us, it is actually a sign that we, in this moment, we're lacking a truth from God. We're lacking a part of his truth that he wants us to know that would bring us the peace and the joy and the love that we so desperately desire. Because think about this. Imagine if you believed everything that Jesus believed. If you knew to be true everything that Jesus knows to be true, would you not feel like him? Would you not feel peace and joy and love? In Galatians chapter 5, it talks about the fruits of the Spirit. Now, keep in mind, the Spirit is also called the Spirit of Jesus in different parts of the Bible. So Holy Spirit, Jesus, the Father, they're so intertwined, they're so connected. So this Jesus guy is very much, you can say, the same God as the Holy Spirit. And it says the fruits of that Spirit which is living inside you and me is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And so if we're lacking in these things, it doesn't mean that you need to try harder. Oh, you need to work on your patience and try harder to be patient. Oh, you need to work on your peace and try harder to have peace. And work on your joy and and do spiritual push-ups so you can have more joy and more self-control. These are not the disciplines of the Spirit. These are the fruit of the Spirit. This is the result of when you are walking in the Spirit, like Sarah spoke a few weeks ago, when you are walking in the Spirit and He is just oozing out of you. And that happens when you have a complete faith. Because when you understand who you are and who God is and what that means, you will feel peace. You don't have to work for it. It is effortless, it is instantaneous, and it, is, it will overwhelm you. Your negative emotions can evaporate into nothing because all that is left is God's nature that he's put inside of you because we are born again, right? We're new creations. It means all of that negative stuff was put on the cross with Jesus, and now we are given a brand new nature. We have him inside of us, except we're lacking an understanding in our heart of, who, of what that means. There's holes in our shield of faith. I might put it that way. So the storm is actually something we should be grateful for. The bad things that happen to us, when the enemy tries to attack you, when he uses other people to attack you, when he sends his lies your way, it's actually something to be grateful for. Because every time you get triggered, It's actually Jesus knocking at the door of your heart saying, hey, I've got some truth for you that you don't have right now because your emotions are telling you that you don't have it. Now, as I'm kind of finishing up tonight, I wanted to take a bit of a look at what people usually do when they're triggered. 
What do we, you and I, I, me included, usually do when we're triggered by things? You know what? We are really excellent problem solvers. You might not understand that. You might not be aware of just how good at solving problems you are. But you are very, very good at it. Because when we are filled with negative emotion, we will find a way to cope with that. Sometimes it involves drowning out the pain with something else or distracting ourselves. We can blame other people for what happened and and kind of turn our grief into anger because that feels a little bit better than grief, so we choose that instead. Other times we can just just hang on and wait it out until the triggered moment passes and then we can start to feel a little bit of peace again. We can turn to things like food or alcohol or video games or friends, social stuff. Maybe, maybe we can turn to isolation, push everyone away. All of these things are solutions to the negative emotion that we feel. And we might not even realize that we're doing them, but we do them because it's better than feeling the pain. Sometimes people think about just ending it all. And you might think, how could someone do that? Well, for them, they thought it's better than living with the pain that they have. Because we all do this on some level or another. We, we try and solve the problem that we have, this negative emotion problem. And sometimes, sometimes we're not even actively triggered. We're passively triggered. You know, you might be scrolling through Facebook and all of a sudden you're like, you know what I really want right now? I really crave some chocolate. I just really want to eat some chocolate. And so you go and get some chocolate and you eat some chocolate. However, what really happened was that you saw something on Facebook that brought up a bad memory or triggered a bad emotion. And you've already taught yourself that I just go to chocolate and it makes me feel better because it does. And so without even consciously being aware of it, we've gone, yep. Oh, you know what? I feel like chocolate right now. I don't know why. Okay, I'll just have chocolate. But we've missed an opportunity where Jesus was knocking, saying, hey, you lack a bit of my truth there. I've got a gift for you. The problem is not that you feel sad or that you feel mad or anxious. Your emotions are not a problem. You're not broken if you feel bad. I I really admire what doctors and psychologists are doing to try and combat mental health. I think it's really good. But I think sometimes people can interpret that and think that there's something wrong with them because they feel bad. I want to tell you, if you feel bad, there's something right with you. That is how you're supposed to function. God designed it so that you would be notified when you're believing a lie. Whether that's grief or anger or sadness or worry, whatever the emotion is, if it's this negative emotion that plagues you, it's doing you a favor. You should actually be thankful for this. You don't need to run away from it and try and get rid of those things. Because it's always just Jesus knocking at the door of your heart. He's holding a package with God's truth inside. I think I've got a slide I put up to illustrate this. Yeah. Did you know, do you know the word struth? You know that? Oh, struth. You know, country people say it, struth. Do you know, it, it actually is just slang for God's truth. 
It is. That's how it came. God's truth. God's truth. 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 It just got shortened. Truth. I mean, I think we should bring it back. That should be Christians' number one slang word is truth. Because, I mean, God's truth is so important in everything. So Jesus has got a package of truth. He's our Amazon delivering it. And he's knocking at the door of your heart. Those emotions that trigger you, that, that come up when you're triggered and, and derail you and make you want to run away or make you want to eat food or whatever your solution is. Sometimes we trade one solution for a better solution, like, you know, uh, going to work out and go to the gym to solve my pain is better than eating a chocolate bar to solve my pain. So, so we think, okay, I'll just trade up my solutions and my coping mechanism. I'll try and get a better one. And I mean, that's good, I guess. But that doesn't solve the problem. It's just putting a different Band-Aid on the same infected wound. The problem is not your pain. Your pain is telling you that there's a problem. But the problem is that you're just lacking a bit of truth. And Jesus has it for you. Now, if you're anything like me, and maybe you've thought, yeah, you know what, I think God has been trying to speak to me with, uh, you know, with this thing that kind of makes me feel bad. But you went, I just, I, just don't, I just don't have the energy to process this right now. Jesus, like I know, yeah, I need to deal with that. I know I need to deal with that. Yes, I know I've got this unforgiveness in there for that person, but I just, I just can't deal with it right now. I'm just not ready. You know, I'll just wait a little bit until I feel ready for that. I just, I can't do it right now, right? You don't have to put up your hand, but I'm sure many people have felt that. But you know what I realized? I realized that God orchestrated my life so that I would be triggered in this moment because that was the moment that He wanted to give me truth. But when I said, oh, you know, I just, I'm not really ready to deal with this right now, I've given up who I could have become. And now I have to wait until I get triggered in the same way again. Maybe it'll be weeks or months. Maybe that thing, I'll find my own way to deal with it, my own way to band-aid the wound. And then my emotions will start to calm down a bit. And then I'll be able to go through my life again and pretend like it didn't happen. But now I've spent months and months and months of not being who I could have been because I thought, oh, I just, I just don't want to deal with it. I don't really have the energy for that right now. But can I tell you, you don't need energy. You don't, you don't need to work for your freedom. Jesus already worked for your freedom. Forever free. All you need to do is open the door and open the package. Open the door and open the package. Now, I could preach another whole message on what opening the package means <laughs> because it's, uh, it's really cool. And, and we're actually going to get into how do you open God's, the package that He sent you? How do you open His gift uh, at Forever Free? So we're going to talk a lot about that. But tonight, I wanted to focus on the Jesus knocking. And as we're, as we're wrapping up, would you, mind, would you mind standing with me? 
we're going to have the band play that, that song, Come to the Altar, talking about Jesus. It's really awesome. But I wanted to give you a moment to assess how you've been going. Did some things trigger you this week? Did some things bubble up to the surface? Because God's knocking. Jesus is, maybe he rang the doorbell. I don't know, maybe it was a big one. (laughs) Because he has truth for you. And all you need to do is, is follow and allow your emotions to guide you to the front door. If your emotion is like the knocking or the doorbell, then it knows where the sound is coming from. And if you actually accept that God gave me my emotions and you follow them and figure out where the lie is and then you say, all right, Jesus, this is how I feel. This is why I feel that way. Jesus, what have you got for me? What is it that you want me to know? And you will be blown away by what happens next. (laughs) So let's take a song. You don't have to sing along. I actually encourage you to not sing and to just close your eyes and have a look inside and see whether Jesus is knocking and see whether you could walk home today with a new piece of truth that you'd never had before that will be with you forever. And that part of your shield of faith will now permanently have something there. So when the devil tries to say, oh, you're not lovable, no one would love you. And you say, but I know, I know that I am lovable. And I know that God does love me. And so it doesn't matter what you say. It's that you're immune to it. Awesome. Well, thank you, team. Don't don't put off till tomorrow what God wants to do in you today. <laughs>